Amen. Today begins the first week of Holy Week. This is the week when we celebrate the coming of Christ to take away the sins of all who believe. Holy Week begins with Palm Sunday. It was the day that Jesus rode in on a cult where He was worshipped and praised, where they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. The same crowd turned against Him within days and called for His crucifixion. We know that this was all under the providential care of God. We know that all that happened to Christ was a part of God's eternal plan to bring salvation and glory to Himself by drawing a people to Himself. Today we're going to look at what it is that was accomplished in this Holy Week. We're going to focus our attention in on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and its implications for our life, for how we live, for what God is doing in our world as we seek to walk in His way according to His Word so that we might accomplish His will. Today is a day that I pray that you have come ready to give consideration to what's going on in your heart and mind and to be mindful that you're a part of something so much bigger if you believe in Jesus. You're a part of something so much bigger than just your life. Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of all human history. He is the centerpiece of the Bible. And we know that the Bible is is nothing more and nothing less than the explanation of reality of what is going on in the world. All that has been, all that is, all that will be, we find in its pages because we know that The Bible is not simply a collection of sayings or small stories. We know that the Bible is a single story. It is the story of God. It is the story how He has sought to bring glory to Himself by redeeming a people. We know that the Bible is divided into four sections. We know it all began with creation. There was a fall. There is a rescue. And there will one day be a restoration. What we see in the Bible is what was, what is, and what is going to be. We begin with creation. And we know that God created all things to be in harmony. And there are those who would say, how do you know this? How do you know that God created all things to be in harmony? Here's how I know. I know that God created all things to be in harmony because whenever things aren't in harmony, I cry foul. At every death, at every conflict, at every point of pain and suffering in my life and in the world, I say, this is not right. Why do I say this? Because I know deep in my soul, as do you, that we were made for perfection. We were made to be at peace with God, with ourselves and with others. And whenever that is not the reality, we know something is wrong. We know that something is wrong because we were made to be in harmony with God. God created all things to be in harmony. So when someone might say, well, then what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Sin. The fall. Because we turned our backs on God, there was a consequence. And that consequence left us in desperate need. We are now fallen creatures. We are people who've been made in the image of God, but we are born separated from God because of our sin, because of the sin in our own souls that exists because of the fall. But God in His grace did not abandon us in our sin, no. The very day we fell, God made a promise that He would come and rescue us. He promised that He would crush the head of the evil one. He kept that promise in the coming of Jesus Christ. And what we celebrate this holy week is the coming of God in flesh to die for our sins, to conquer death, to be raised that we might worship Him and love Him. And now those of us who believe, we're a part of the story. 
It's not just our life. It's God's life in us and through us. We are joining in His grand story. This story that is leading to the culmination of a restoration. See, the story's not done. Right now, we get to be a part of spreading the good news that that God has come to rescue us. And we do that always with a mind looking to the future, realizing that one day Jesus is going to make all things new. That He's going to restore harmony. And only those who are found in His grace, only those who have peace with God will enter into that everlasting peace. All those who live absent of God in their life, all those who live in sin, all those who turn away and seek their own way will do that for all of eternity. So we, mindful of this story, mindful of the reality, we need to ask ourselves a very simple question. How does this story matter to my life? And I want to tell you it matters big. And you need to be able to not only explain this to yourself, why this is big, you need to be able to explain it to others. And the best way I can explain it is with three circles. I want to encourage you to to draw this up and to get extremely familiar with it so that at any time, at at any coffee conversation, at any lunch, at at any evening when you're putting your child to bed, that you can immediately draw this because you'll never know when it is someone is needing to understand how they can be transformed by the power of God. Draw three circles. And in one circle, write God's design. In the other circle, put brokenness. And in the third circle, put the gospel. The story tells us that, that God's design was to make everything to be in harmony. But, draw an arrow and write the word sin, but because of sin, there's now brokenness. There's the fall, and so now there's the consequences of the fall, which is brokenness. That's why there's so much pain. That's why there's so much conflict. That's why marriage is so hard. That's why it's so hard to rear children. It's why it's so hard to have parents and authorities and things in our lives because we know because of sin that people's lives are broken. Our world is broken. But we also know God did not abandon us. The gospel, the gospel is the good news is that God has come to rescue us. You say, how did He rescue us? By dying to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven, being raised so that we can live in Him and Him in us. We are saved not only by His death, but by His life. And if we will repent and believe, repent, turn away from sin, turn away from our own way, turn to Christ, and then believe that He is the resurrected God who died for our sins, we will be saved and we will be set free. Set free to recover and pursue God's design. This is what God has come to do. This is the story of God. And as we come into our text today in this grand story, we come to a point where Jesus has already accomplished what is necessary for salvation. He has already died for sin. He has now been raised. And now He is giving convincing proofs that He is alive. Remember, after Christ died and was raised, He did not immediately ascend into heaven. But no, Jesus actually remained on earth for 40 days to prove that He was the resurrected God. To prove that not only did He die for sin, but He has been raised to life and can give this life to all who believe. Acts chapter 1, verse 3 explains it. It says, He, Jesus presented Himself alive to them, that is the disciples, after His suffering, after His death and and resurrection, by many proofs, appearing to them during, notice, 40 days. 
So for 40 days, Jesus remained here, appearing to the disciples, affirming and, and enabling them to understand the reality of his death, burial, and resurrection, and speaking about the kingdom of God. In our text today, we come to the very first day. We come to the very first appearance of Jesus after his resurrection. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and now turn with me to John chapter 20. We're in the Gospel of John chapter 20. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew right there in front of you. Go ahead and turn to John chapter 20, and then let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And we're going to have Miss Alyssa Garcia come and read Scripture for us today. She's going to read 18 verses that, that give us the story of what happened after the resurrection of Jesus on that first day. This is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, if you would, please. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and fell of the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. The other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw a linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw it and believed, for yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept, and she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw, and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Women, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around, she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he has said this thing to her. The Word of God. Amen. Good job, Alyssa. Well done. If you would, go ahead and have a seat. As we look at this experience with Mary, I don't know what word you would put uh, with this, but the word that came to my mind as I read this text was the reality of doubt. When I see what was going on with Mary, I saw a person who was dealing with doubt. Last night, as I was watching both the game and Twitter, I came to realize there were a lot of Kentucky fans beginning to deal with doubt. For many weeks and months now, there's been absolute confidence that this would be an undefeated season, that they would win the national championship. But at 9.30, I felt and sensed this overwhelming doubt. Twitter went silent. There was no hashtag BBN. There was fear. There was trembling. 
They were no longer standing and smiling. They were sitting. They were huddled. They were praying. There was doubt in the minds of many. And then, of course, in the concluding moments, Twitter lit up as they, on the television station, showed Christian Leitner break their hearts just years before, and all the Duke fans were smiling. They were waving it, but oh, the doubt that was beginning to develop deeper into the hearts of the big blue nation. But then they realized, there's no need to fear. We have those twins. We, we're 20 inches taller than all of them. It's going to be okay. And again, your doubts were alleviated as the victory was won. And then you tapped and bounced on the head, the Notre Dame people, and said, you've got a fine team there. And you moved on with confidence. But there was doubt. If there was doubt in your heart, let's have, you're in church. If you doubted, let's see a hand. All right. So this sermon has particular, particular realistic feelings for you. Mary was struggling with doubt. I'm going to tell you, when it comes to life and it comes to faith, you're, you're going to doubt. You're going to have times where you struggle. If, if we talked with Mary, if we would have talked to her just a week before, if we would have talked to her on this day, the, the triumphal entry, and we asked her, do you believe? She would have said, yes, I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that, that He is all that He has said He was. But now, death has brought doubt. And in light of this reality of doubt, I want you to write this down and I want you to remember this. And, I, and, and as you go through struggles, as you, as you have to fight through this, remember, it is wise to doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Now let me tell you how I do that. And I know some of you say, wait a minute, you doubt? Yes, I have doubts. You say, wait a minute, don't we pay you not to doubt? Yes, you do. And it's not always well invested. But I'm going to tell you, the reality is you're going to doubt. I doubt. There are times when I doubt uh, as to whether or not I'm supposed to be doing what I'm doing. Now, I know, I believe that I'm called, but there are times that I doubt. There are times when, when there's a darkness, when there are, there's temptation, there's things that are driving me, and, and I doubt. But let, let me tell you how I defeat doubt. Let me, how, let me tell you how I believe my beliefs is I go to the Word of God. Because when I go to the Word of God, I see the will of God, which reminds me of the way of God. I don't just go to the Word of God and read it for technical information or theological abstract ideas. I go to the Word of God to understand who God is. And in light of who God is, that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do, I remind myself of how this living God has been at work in my life in the past. I cannot tell you how important it is that you have markers in your life that you can remember and that you can recall where you can speak confidently that you know that God was at work in your life. I can remember my salvation experience. I can remember how I came to saving faith. I can remember being called into the pastoral ministry. I can remember getting a football scholarship and then walking away from it to pursue an academic uh, career in, in, in studying religion and biblical languages with a scholarship that God had provided. I don't know if I've ever told you that story, but I was playing football at MTSU. I lost two knees and five ribs. That's what happens when you get out of the will of God. I'm just kidding. I don't know why that happened, but it hurt a lot. As I was coming out of surgery, I got a call from Belmont University offering me a full scholarship. And for the life of me, I could not understand how they got my name. And they said, well, when you were a sophomore, 
in high school, I had just gotten saved. I took this ACT test, which back then no one even knew what they were taking. Apparently it's important now. And I had put that I would like to study the Bible uh, in college. Somehow that was sent to Belmont, and Belmont called me somehow under the providential hand of God. The Lord worked. And you know what happened? God allowed me to begin college playing football. He allowed me to finish college studying religion and biblical languages. But then I had to go to seminary. And you know what? God provided for seminary. And then I sought a doctorate degree. And you know what? God provided for the funds for that doctorate degree. You know, I have an education. And don't hold me. Don't, don't judge me. Because I know you would expect more from me. But I have an education worth over $160,000. And I didn't pay a dime for it. That's God. Amen? That's what God does. And, and I don't say that to say, wow, look how spiritually is. No, what you should say is, wow, look how... Look how little God has to work with there, right? But what happened? God's hand. So what, when I have doubts, here's what I do. I say, what does God's Word say? And how have I experienced God's Word and God's provision in my life? How is it I have gotten to this place in my life? Because the hand of God has worked. And then I'm reminded that I have a purpose that, that goes beyond just me. I'm reminded of times when God has not only worked in my life, but worked through my life. And I can think of countless people that I've had the privilege of leading to Christ and baptizing, of leaders that I've been able to instruct and train who are now missionaries and pastors and elders and deacons and and leading small groups and, and making an impact for the kingdom of heaven. Listen, when your doubts come, you need to be able to go back to the Word of God that speaks, that is alive. You need to go back and think, How has God been at work in my life? Hasn't He been at work? And then you need to be able to say, what is my purpose? Have I seen God live out His purpose in me? And as you are able to point to those things, listen, it's not going to alleviate completely your doubts, but you'll be able to doubt your doubts. And you'll be able to believe your beliefs. Mary was struggling with doubt. When it comes to doubt, write it down. Realize that that doubts are beliefs with bad facts. That's what doubts are. They're beliefs. Now, don't miss that point. Your doubts are beliefs. We are always, at all times, living by faith. Everyone, secularists to Christians, we're all living by faith. The question is, what is the object of our faith? What is it that we are believing in? What are doubts? Doubts are believing in objects that are bad. They're bad facts. What was going on with Mary? Well, Mary came to the tomb early. Look in verse 1. And while it was dark, and saw the the, the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So, Mary comes, the tomb is opened, and now she begins to live off of bad facts. What are the facts? Well, she runs to Simon Peter and the other disciples, and she tells them her presupposition, her belief, her idea, her faith. What does she say that has happened? She says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have have laid him. What is she saying? Someone stole the body of Jesus. She does not believe in the resurrection. She's believing bad facts. She believes that someone was able to overcome the the guards who were guarding that tomb. She believed that someone had moved that stone away. She believed that other human beings had stolen the body of Jesus and had hidden and laid His body somewhere else. She had a belief that was based on bad information. 
We all have beliefs. The question is, what are our beliefs? What is it we are believing in? Now, we can understand why Mary believed what she believed, can't we? I mean, after all, she had just seen Jesus beaten and crucified just a couple of days before. The disciples, the leaders, they're all hiding out in the upper room because they're scared they're next. Meanwhile, she's heartbroken. She is sad. She's beyond sad. She believed that Jesus was the Messiah who was going to bring the blessing of Israel. And no longer would the Romans have authority, but they were finally going to be this nation. She believed all the stories she'd been told as a little girl. And now all of her hopes are dashed. The leaders are scared. And her Lord was killed. Now she comes to this empty tomb and she doubts. Had she been told that Jesus was the resurrection and the life? Yes. Had she not heard from Jesus' own lips that He would die and on the third day be raised? Yes. Had she not been told and had she not seen over and over that Jesus was God? Yes. And so have we. But she doubted. And so will we. And why will we doubt? Because we will believe facts that are bad. We will believe information that is not true according to God's Word. Instead of looking at life through the lens of the supernatural as Scripture articulates, we will forget that God is God. We will ignore what we have come to believe. We will see life in only a secular way. That is, without the the, the movement and the divine intervention of God. And we will assume that there is no God or at least not the God of the Bible who works and transforms and makes all things new. Instead, we will doubt. And in those moments, we must doubt our doubts. Realize that these doubts are beliefs with bad facts. And believe, friends, believe in what God can do. Let me tell you, in those moments of doubt, Don't try to talk about how strong your faith is. Don't focus in on what it is you can do and what you can believe. Focus in on what it is you believe, who it is you believe in. Focus in on God. And remember Luke 18, 27. In those moments when you're overwhelmed with life and stuff and challenges are coming at you, remember what is impossible with men is possible with God. And so when circumstances would tell you otherwise, when challenges come, when, heart, when your heart gets broken and you get overwhelmed, don't look at life from a secular perspective. Don't just look at it for what is happening in space and time and what you can control. Look at life always from the perspective of what is impossible with man. It's possible with God. And doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Believe what God can do. Believe, write it down, believe in the miracle of the resurrection. Believe in it. I love this, this section in, in, in verses 3-10 through 10 of, of John chapter 20. It, it makes me laugh every time I read it because, you know, men are always boys and, and boys become men that, that think and feel like boys. Here are two men, Peter and John. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is writing the holy book. He is a part of writing the gospel. And yet he wants to make sure that everyone knows that when Peter and he were running for the grave, he beat Peter to the grave. Isn't that just like a man? Hey, yeah, Jesus was raised. And by the way, me and Peter were running and I outran him. You see in verse 8, then the other disciple who reached the tomb first 
For all of eternity, he wanted to make sure everyone knew Peter was slow and he was fast. But I want you to notice here. I want you to notice that John saw the same thing Mary saw. An open, empty tomb. But his response was different. What happened? Look at it. Look in verse 8. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw, and what does it say? Read it out loud. And he saw, and he believed. Mary doubted. John believed. Why? For as yet they did not understand the Scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 8 says clearly that John saw and believed. Now, if CSI Jerusalem had been there, right? And they had marked off the scene. John would not have seen anything different than what Mary had seen. And yet John was able to believe his beliefs. He did not doubt his doubts. Now, he ran to the tomb. He had to know for himself. But what was different? He was able to look at the reality of the situation based on what he knew the Word of God had said. He knew the Word of God so that he was able to remember the will of God so he could celebrate the way of God. And that's what we all must do. We must know the Word of God so that we can know the will of God, so that we can walk in and believe the way of God. John remembered the Scripture. He remembered that Jesus said, many times that he would die and on the third day be raised. He remembered the Word of God. He remembered that Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He remembered the Word of God. It was not that John just thought, hey, you know what? I bet Jesus has been raised. Not what happened. What what we see here is that he remembered the Scripture. And up to that point, he had not connected the Scripture with the reality of his life. And friends, I want to tell you, I want to encourage you not to let that happen to yourself. Do not separate the reality of the information of the Bible with your real life. Let me say it this way. Don't let your faith be a theory. Don't let the resurrection be a neat idea that you happen to believe. Because I want to make sure you understand this. Just because you believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that doesn't make you a Christian. Satan and all the demons of hell believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The difference is between a Christian and a non-Christian is that a Christian repents of their sin, repents of their way of life, repents of their unbelief, and chooses to believe in the resurrection of Christ and begins to live a life under the authority of the resurrected Christ. It's not enough to say, oh yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. I study the Bible. I know some things about the Bible. That's not the question. The question is, do you live what the Word of God says? Does the Word of God define reality for you? Or are you like Mary, looking at the world, looking at all the problems, looking at all your pain, looking at all the things that are happening, absent of the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? See, when you look at life from the resurrection perspective, here's what you know Jesus saves. See, when you know that Jesus is alive, that His death on the cross 
paid for your sin, you refuse. You no longer have to live in shame anymore. You no longer have to be driven by the things of your past. You now know that your past is redeemed. And you know that the living God is alive in you. And and you know that because of the resurrection, not only do you believe, one, that you are saved, two, you believe you've been given a new life. The Scripture teaches that, that the old is gone, the new has come, that we are new creations of Christ, that He who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. And our belief is not simply an idea, it's a reality we experience because Jesus is alive. We're no longer ashamed. We're adopted children of the High King of Heaven. We are now living under His authority because He is alive and He's given us this new life. And third, He's given us a new purpose. And that purpose goes beyond simply our appetites for power, pleasure, popularity, and possessions. We now live for something that is bigger than ourselves. We're now able to see every challenge, every hurt, every pain, every obstacle, everything that's going on in the world. We're able to see it through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're able to believe that miracle and walk by faith and confidence of the hand of God who is at work in us. So do this. Write this down. Doubt the ideas that deny the resurrection. Doubt them. Doubt the ideas that deny the resurrection. You look at Mary here in verses 11 through 15, and she's smack dab in the middle of a miracle. I mean, there's two angels sitting where Jesus had laid. Jesus himself shows up and she thinks he's a gardener. Can I tell you something? Christian, those of you who are followers of Jesus, let me just remind you something. You're smack dab in the middle of a miracle right now. God is at work in miraculous ways all around you. Can you see Him? Can you see God's provision? Can you see the hope that He has for all who believe? Do you feel His love? That's a miracle. That's a miracle of God. Do you, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? That's a miracle. Do you desire His Word? That's a miracle. Do you see the reality of His Word and how it matters to real life? That's a miracle. Listen, God is at work. Can you see Him? Mary couldn't see Him. Mary couldn't see Him. And let me tell you, when you don't see the miracle happening around you, here are the signs that you don't see it. First of all, you sin. See, when you stop believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first thing you do is you fall not into temptation, but actually into sin. Because you can believe in the resurrection of Jesus and be living for the glory of God and fall into temptation, but you can then turn away and repent and you cannot fall into sin. But when you deny the miracle of the resurrection, one of the things you'll always do is you'll sin. Because here's what you'll be telling yourself. God doesn't see. God won't judge. God doesn't know. And that, those lies right there are at the foundation of every sin any of us commit. The other thing you'll begin to do is fear. Because if Jesus is not alive, and if He is not living, and if He's not working out a providential plan, then it's all up to you. And you know if it's all up to you, the probability of failure is great. Not only will you sin, not only will you live in fear, but you'll lose hope. You'll stop striving in the hope of what God can do. You'll, stop being, you'll start being stingy with your money and your time and your emotional energy. And you won't want to invest in other people because you're going to be a glasses half, half in, uh, full type person. And you're going to you begin to, to just draw back. And I know that, that that describes many of you. You're falling into sin. 
You're living with fear. You're not giving and living for the glory of God. You're hiding and you're holding in tight. But when you believe in the resurrection and you believe in the power of God, your life is transformed. There is hope and there's confidence and there's gratitude and there's generosity. So friends, do this. Doubt and defy anything that would cause you to doubt the resurrection. And then praise God for these divine moments when He intervenes like is happening right now. Some of you right now are beginning to get a sense that you are not here by chance today. Some of you right now are beginning to think, man, I needed to hear this today. You're hearing, uh, and in essence, you're hearing God call your name. You're hearing God speak to you and say to you, this is for you. I love what we see happening in verse 16. Mary is overwhelmed. And God provides this divine moment as He says to her, Mary, can you imagine what happened to her heart the moment she heard Jesus say her name? Mary. And she turned around in Aramaic and says, Rabbi, teacher, what a beautiful moment where she goes from doubt to belief. And you know when those moments happen for us? It's whenever we hear the Word of God. Whenever we hear the Word of God preached. Whenever we're serving others in the name of God. Whenever it is we are living out the commands of God. Some of you will email this week, and, and, and I get emails almost every week of people who are saying, Pastor, that sermon was meant for me. That sermon had my name all over it. There are times you'll be studying the Word of God and you'll say, that text is for me. That has my name all over it. There are times when you'll be serving God and you'll say, this calling has my name all over it. In those divine moments, praise God for it. Praise God for the miracle He's doing and the miracle He's making you aware of. And then notice this, be willing to live by faith. Look what Jesus says here in verse 17, and don't forget this. He says to her, do not cling to me. He says, I have not yet ascended to the Father. Here's what I want you to hear out of this. Jesus will bring divine moments, but I'm going to tell you, He's bringing those so that we can live by faith. How much easier it would have been for Mary to take the resurrected Christ down to Jerusalem and say, hey everybody, He's alive. But that wasn't what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, Mary, don't cling to me. You've got to live by faith. You've got to take this moment and now you've got to go back into the real world and, and you can't take this experience with you. You can't take me physically. God has determined that we are to live by faith. And so Jesus says, you can't cling to me. You can't hold on to this. There's more to come. And, and the reality is because there's more to come, you've got to live by faith. Friends, God is not calling you to live comfortably with the information you're receiving right now. He's calling you not to live by faith. Now, what did that mean for Mary? Well, it, it means the very same thing it should mean for you and me. It meant for her that she would lead others to anchor their life in hope in Jesus, and that's exactly what it means for us. To live by faith, write it down, is to lead others to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. Look what Mary did in verse 18. Says Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that He had said these things to her. Now, many of you are going to do the exact opposite of what Mary has done in this text. Let me explain what is about to happen to many of you. Many of you are about to close your Bibles as you are right now. And you're going to say to yourself, well, wasn't that good? And you're not going to give another thought to what we just talked about. 
And if you do, it'll be fleeting. And it will be a thought of, I needed that. That was helpful. That was good. Let me tell you what a handful of you are going to do. Just a few of you are going to do. You're going to leave here and you're going to go and tell someone who needs to know about the resurrection of Jesus. Let me tell you what a few of you are going to do. You're beginning already now to think about people who do not have Christ and how you can help them know this, this risen Savior and how maybe you can get them to come to Easter service with you next week. See, what Mary did was she took this reality and said, you know what, I can't keep this a secret. There are people held up in hiding who are scared and they need to know that Jesus is alive. Let me ask you, how many people do you know right now who are held hostage by their fear? who are held hostage by sin and death, who need the good news that Jesus is alive? And how often have you heard this truth and yet been unwilling to live by faith and go and leave them to anchor their life in hope in Jesus? Friends, doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Some of you need to come and get on your knees today and say, I, I am done doubting. I believe in Jesus. Some of you need to come and get on your knees today and say, God, here I am, send me. And you need to be praying for the people that you're going to go and share with. And here's what some of you need to do today. Some of you are facing circumstances and situations, and you need to come and get on your knees before God and say, God, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that you're alive, and the very fact that you can conquer death means that you can conquer what I'm facing today. And so I'm going to come right now and I'm going to trust you with this situation. I'm going to ask you to miraculously move and I'm going to believe that you have a purpose and I'm going to walk faithful with you no matter what happens. And you're going to leave this place in just a few minutes with peace. Only as you turn this over to the Lord. And I want to invite you to do it right now. So let's stand together and pray. Father, may your word have fallen on, on fertile soil today. And may there be some who will come now and get on their knees and say, yes, Lord, I believe. Not just the facts, I believe with my life. Forgive me, take over my life. Some who can come today and say, I believe, Lord, I give this circumstance to you. I believe, Lord, I give you my friends and my families and I'm going to go and share with them. I'm going to lead them to anchor their life and hope in Jesus as I have. Lord God, as we come and as we sing this praise to You, as we offer up this truth that You have paid it all, therefore all to You we owe, may we, may we gladly give You all. And many to come and get on their knees and say, God, I give this to You. I give this fear. I give this need to You. I give You my soul. I give You my life. God, hear as they come to pray and as we praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.